the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 466 for Sunday, September 15th, 2013. Greetings, folks, and welcome. The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, the show where we do all kinds of stuff together to learn more about the Mac, Apple products, Apple stuff, technology in general. Really, the point is to collectively enhance our technological lives. Coming to you this morning, this bright, sunny Sunday morning here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in chilly, somewhat chilly, Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. It's brisk, John. Brisk. brisk it's 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 a uh, it's it's refreshing it's invigorating is what it is or maybe that's the caffeine i don't know i should open the window though because it's nice tell them hi say hi one more time i'm just gonna open the window next to me because it's really nice out oh hi yes uh um, um um oh yeah that's nice getting a little breeze coming in here that, that was good john thanks yeah you, you mumbled you, you mumbled astutely <laughs> excellent diction <laughs> Uh, let's get, what did he say? Uh, let's get right into the show. Shall we, John? Actually, first, did you want to say something about, uh, our, our neighbors to our West here, our, our brothers oh, to our West? man. Yeah. So, uh, as some of you may know, uh, Colorado has been having a real rough time here. Actually, our, uh, uh, colleague Jeff Gamut is, uh, is out there, uh, among many other people. Many thousands and, of uh, others. Yep. And, uh, they had some really just ridiculous flooding out there. I mean, the, the Jeff sent out some pictures there. I mean, roads got washed away. It is just a mess. So if you want to help those folks out there, uh, I think we'll uh, link to it here. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, maybe donation to the, uh, local red cross or uh, other organizations I, I gave to the local red cross there. But, uh, yeah, it's amazing what, uh, it's amazing what too much water can do. I mean, it's crazy. Roads, his, his pictures disappeared. It was like, Whoa, yeah, his pictures are are sobering, but also, I mean, it's just astounding that that this can actually happen. Yeah, I mean, you, there's there's somewhere there's somewhere there's a river, and you can sort of tell it used to be a road. There's somewhere now that it's sort of draining away, you can see half a road left. He was telling us uh, during the staff meeting on Wednesday when he was effectively trapped, you know, in his house, that neighbors were outside uh, shoveling dirt out of their driveways and into the street so that they could. Uh, build up enough of the street back so that they could get their four wheel drives and get out to, you know, a more main road. So, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, definitely. All right. Now let's, let's do this. Tony, Tony actually kicks us off uh, with, with what I love. Um, He had a problem. He sent an email about 10 minutes later, uh, maybe two hours later, but you know, give or take, Uh, he sent in the solution, which is awesome. And uh, I love it when, 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 uh, when we're able to solve problems. And so we will share Tony's question was, I have a mid or late 2011 MacBook pro running the latest OS. And I have a recurring problem. My mouse and trackpad work to move the cursor around, but at some point the ability to select anything is gone. I have to use the trackpad to save and exit apps and do at least one restart to get normal operation back. I have total finder running and also another language keyboard in the background. I also, um, have i also i will also note that my interface agent runs wild from time to time i'm assuming that's a process he's seeing 
Uh, might have something to do with leftover process remnants from the Unity game engine, Red Crucible, blah, 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 because none of that matters, uh, because we know the answer. And uh, and this thing, this happens to me regularly, and it often takes me, you know, a good 15, 20 minutes to realize, oh, yeah, dum-dum, that's what happened. And I always say dum-dum because once I know the answer to something, I should know it again in the future. Um, but the first time it happens, you're not a dum-dum. It's just an interesting thing. Tony's solution. He says, I forgot that I had my magic trackpad enabled and paired and something was resting up against it. Um, the, the magic trackpad, the entire surface is clickable. So if you have something of uh, of sufficient weight resting on it, it will be in fully clicked state permanently. And therefore, nothing else can register a click or an unclick is, is you know, mouse up is what you're looking for there because we already have mouse down. So, I'll, you know, sometimes the symptom will be what Tony describes. Sometimes it'll be that things just like get selected all over the place. And uh, and so, yeah, thank you, Tony. A great start to the show here, because it's something that happens to many, if not all of us at one time or another. Good stuff. You don't you don't run a trackpad. Do you have a magic trackpad, John? No, actually, uh, mom has one. Okay. Because, um, well, I got her one because actually I think it's time for her to get a new machine. Actually, yep. it's time for many of us to get new things. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be upgrading some of my hardware soon, I think. So. Awesome. I but no, that. actually, her, her trackpad on her MacBook, we got a, got her a refurb. It's, a, it's a several years old now, but it all of a sudden started failing. Yeah. And um, so I'm like, hmm. How can we solve this here other than getting it fixed? So it's out of Apple Care, and I don't know if it's worth replacing the trackpad on the uh, on the computer. But I'm like, oh, oh, here's a good gift opportunity, and basically got her a magic trackpad, and uh, she now uses that to uh, navigate. I, I would en- I would encourage every uh, Mac owner, especially desktop Mac owner, to strongly consider getting a magic trackpad. Uh, not only is it a great UI? It also allows you to do a lot of things that are built into the OS, like switching between apps and, and uh, you know, the zooming and pinching and all that stuff. There's so much of that, that, that Apple has built into the OS now, uh, partially because it came over from iOS, but also because we've had, we have these trackpads on all the laptops. They're just built in. And, uh, and having that functionality on the desktop is excellent. I actually go, I go back and forth. I have a magic mouse and you can do some of that stuff on the, the top surface of the magic mouse. I have that, uh, for my left hand and the magic trackpad on the right. And I basically wait until the battery dies in one. And then I use the other and it keeps me from getting, you know, too much repetitive stress injury. But, uh, but yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. All right, John, you want to take us to Joseph? Yes. All right. So- yeah, it lends itself to uh, quite a few tips here, I think. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Joseph or Joe writes, I create a group in address book. And yes, address book, not contacts. Um, I create a group in address book. It looks okay. I close and exit the address book. I then open up a mail window. Mail has been running and want to create a new email. I click on the icon to show addresses and my new group isn't there. This has happened before. What's going on and how can I create a group and then be able to use it from within mail? The group finally appears after I shut down mail. It's odd that you have to do that, but there are other oddities about mail. So a few things here. So number one, I was like, well, what, what is this address <laughs> icon you speak of? And the thing is, at least on my installation of mail, I did not have that icon. It, it looks to be something that's not part of the default toolbar. So one little tip here is if you do want to bring up that, that 
um, window um, that will show you addresses and, and groups and all that. Uh, if you go to mailbox, mailbox, I'm sorry, view, customized toolbar, you can actually select it. It shows a little head. Uh, you can actually drag that to the toolbar and make that something that's available. Another way to get to that window is to, let's see here, uh, window menu address panel. Um, and there's also a keyboard shortcut for that. Um, so that's number one. So I tried to duplicate this. I was doing this on my uh, 10.8 machine. And so I tried this. So I brought up the address window, um, then went to contacts because I'm doing this on 10.8 and created a new group. Um, when I switched over to contacts, actually that address window disappeared from mail. Like, oh, that's, but, but that's okay. Um, so I created a new group and then went back to mail and I looked in the address window in mail and it was there. So I'm like, what is, what's going on here? So I did have one suggestion. Um, it, it, it didn't fix this problem, but, but I think it's just something, a uh, general troubleshooting tip here to try to solve. So I thought there was maybe a data synchronization issue that sure. was writing the data properly. And actually, there is a place um, where you can look to see if things are working properly. And it's actually in your home directory, library, saved application state, state, And within that directory... You can see if data is being written. And in this case, um, on my case and both his case, uh, it was being written. The, the time and date stamp was uh, accurate. So that was not the issue here, though it could be the issue, I think, for, for some people. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good he, thing to check. But you, you, you found the, the solution. Yeah. Yeah. The solution well, not the here solution, is, but the answer, well, I should say. Well, the solution here is a fish shake at Apple. <laughs> Then he got back to me and said, oh, no, no, I'm running 10.7.5. And I'm like, oh, okay. So because I tried this on my 10.8 machine, I then went to my uh, 10.7 machine, which I'm on right now, and I tried to do the same thing. And guess what? I was able to duplicate the behavior. It doesn't work right. So the answer is either mail or address book on 10.7 is broken. That's uh -huh. the only conclusion I can come to. Well, yeah, it sounds like there and was then a bug I added in it. a group. Yeah, I added a group, you know, from within address book and then looked in mail and it, it sure enough didn't show up just just like it, it, it didn't for him. But when I quit everybody and start or actually, yeah, quit mail and then started mail up again, then it appeared in the mail address window. So I don't have it. I, I, I think it's just the implementation on, on 10.7, probably address book. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't fish shake it, Apple. It's a bug that they solved. You just need to upgrade to, to Mountain Lion, which, which I, no, 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 seriously. I mean, yeah, you know, no, if you're choosing to stay with an old version of the OS, then you're choosing to pick the problems and bugs that it has, knowing full well that Apple has iterated beyond that. And, and in terms of 10.7 versus 10.8, I would definitely, I would go 10.8 100% of the time. 10.7 um, was a disaster. Lion was horrible. And uh, Mountain Lion's been way better. So I would, yeah, yeah without I question. May upgrade. I may upgrade my mini, and uh, as you suggested here, I may uh, uh, virtualize a 10.7 installation just so we can help troubleshoot these things like, like I did here. Yeah, and that's the nice part. You can virtualize 10.7 officially, and this has only to do with the license agreement um, that Apple probably isn't going to bother to pay lawyers to upgrade or update Um 10.7's license agreement totally allows it to be virtualized, which means you can run it inside of 
parallels or or um, what, VMware Fusion, right, or or various other virtualization engines, um, and it works great in in at least those two. I haven't tried it in the others, but it works great in those two. Uh, Snow Leopard ten point six and prior do not allow virtualization for the client version. You can virtualize Snow Leopard server, um, but the regular client install you can't. By the license agreement and parallels in VMware follow that license agreement. However, if you have some skill with Google, you can probably hunt and find a way to make Snow Leopard virtualize in at least one of those programs. So I will uh, I, I'll leave it at that. I don't have the link in front of me. Otherwise, I would just share it. But uh, I know I have found it in the past via Google. Um, so there you go. There you go. Um, so I do. Now it is time, John, to talk about our first sponsor, which is uh, a, a returning sponsor here, Squarespace. And uh, the first thing I'm going to tell you is between now and the end of September, if you use coupon code MGG9 at Squarespace, you get not 10% off like our previous coupons have been, but 20% off whatever you buy uh, when you apply that coupon. Now, why would you want to buy Squarespace? Well, that's easy. They are more than just a web hosting company. They are a place to put yourself out there on the web without having to do any hard work. I have in the last couple of months, I've actually set up two websites with Squarespace. And the first was a blog, uh, my Dave the Nerd blog that uh, that I ran on WordPress and uh, on a WordPress install on our own servers and I just imported it into Squarespace. And the cool part is once I pulled it in, I can apply their designs and their templates and their templates are so cool. You can just drag stuff in, uh, literally dragging pictures in from the, the desktop and it puts them in where you want them. You can change the format really easily. There's none of this messing around. You just go to their template viewer, you pick a template and it magically applies it throughout your site. Um, and then the second site that I did was we're hosting uh, one of the bands that I'm in. We've put together uh, an event at the end of September on the 28th. And uh, we're doing it uh, for those of you local in New Hampshire here. We're doing it at the Rochester Opera House. And it's just a bunch of bands. It's benefiting the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And uh, and really, it's just a family-friendly night out of rock and roll. There's three bands playing and, um, and one of them's a kid's band. And it's cool, but we wanted to be able to sell tickets online and for whatever reason, the place where we're doing it couldn't do it or it would cost too much. And so I thought, wait a minute, Squarespace. And they do. They have a partnership with uh, Stripe, which is an online payment engine. And it's so easy to set up. I mean, I literally start to finish set up this this page. It's at flingrocks.com. You can go see it. Um, it's it, it's the slash tickets page. But everything there's only the one page there because I wanted it single purpose. Uh, but I can move that around and I can change it any anytime I want because that's how flexible Squarespace is. But I did that the whole thing, including signing up for Stripe and getting payments processed. I did the whole thing in about an hour. Uh, I mean, you'll see the page. It's there's nothing to it, but look through it. You'll see there's a there's a shopping cart there. It tracks orders. It gets information. It fills out the forms that I want with the information that I need. Uh, it processes your credit card or your however you're going to pay. And all of that is thanks to Squarespace because it just they, they have all these modules and you just plug them in and you just say go and it goes. 
So uh, really cool stuff. And it's just, you know, I've been doing this web stuff for what, 15 plus, maybe 20 years. And uh, I certainly could code all this stuff manually, but that doesn't mean I want to uh, at all. What are you nuts? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this was just so easy. I just go in and I say, check, I want a shopping cart. And then I, I can pick what I want the shopping cart to look like. I can upload custom images for the products and, uh, and it just worked. It was awesome. So again, go sign up. You can get started without paying a dime. Uh, they do have a two week free trial. But uh, so go sign up, start playing with it, see what you like. And uh, and then just make sure you place your order before the end of September and use that MGG nine code because that will get you 20 percent off. And uh, and we all like a discount. So so there you go. Thanks to Squarespace, Squarespace dot com. And uh, and I believe that brings us on to uh, perhaps the tip section of the show, John. Uh, Simon, uh, we'll kick it off with with Simon's tip because it's such a. It's a, it's it's one of these simple ones, but it's so handy, and I always forget it's there. He says, uh, "I have and hate Microsoft Office 2011 for the Mac. Ever open a file from Outlook and it's uh, read only or in the Outlook temp folder, and you're unsure of its name or its real location? Here's a tip, and this tip works in nearly every Mac app that uh, that has Windows that open documents that are you know available in the Finder." Uh, option click or right click on the document title and you can see its full name and path uh, better better still click on the first folder down and you are taken to that folder so you just go up to where the title of the document is and you option click there and uh, I'm sorry did I say option click I meant control click I was editorializing as I went because he said right click and not everybody has a mouse with two buttons so I was you know uh, control click is uh is the right thing to do uh and that will show you a whole drop down and you can actually navigate it'll show you the whole folder structure and you could go to any folder there including the top level hard drive but uh but like simon says just go to the first the, the top thing is going to be the document file the next one down is the folder that contains it and that can often be a really handy thing, especially like this. If you double click something and it's open for mail, even if it's it's Mac mail, you don't have to be using Microsoft Office. Double click an attachment in mail uh, and it opens in, say, pages. Right. Y you might want to be able to get to where that file is. This is how you do it. You right click or you control click on the top and it'll drop down on the on the title bar of the menu and it'll drop down a, uh, a little uh, a little drop down. And you can navigate there. It's good stuff. I always forget that's there, John. Sweet. Yeah. Do you use that? You forget it's there too. I forget it's there too. Mm -hmm. I use something similar in. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I use the similar functionality in uh, Spotlight. Okay. Yeah. And that's sometimes. Uh, yeah. If you if you hold down a certain. Yeah. Sometimes Spotlight. When you find something, you don't necessarily know where it is. Sometimes it'll tell you where, but not very specifically. But if you hold down something, I think it's Option. It'll uh, drill down and tell you where it's at. That's good. Cool. I love these little tips. They're, they're some of my favorite things. The thing is, just you know, just keep pressing those different modifier keys, and and you'll find all sorts of great stuff. No, it's totally yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of stuff like that, and in iOS, uh, not as much, but the tap and hold can sometimes bring up some interesting things. Like if you're in Mail and you want to see your drafts tap and hold on the compose button it'll bring you to your drafts 
And there's other things like that in iOS as well. So it's, you know, it's and iOS seven's coming out this week. So, uh, so there's some, there's some interesting stuff coming in that too. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Excellent. Okay. I'm ready for the, uh, yeah. For the, uh, software update, uh, dog pile. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. That comes out Wednesday, I guess. And, uh, and we've been putting together an article at TMO that we'll publish on Wednesday that, that has a, that kind of a ton of our, our favorite tips that we found, uh, throughout the, the beta process. And now obviously with the GM, but, uh, but I will say I'm, I'm totally stoked with how it's running. The, the GM's running on my iPad three and my iPhone five. Um, You're so, not supposed to talk about that. I, it's okay. I think it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's all right. Okay yeah. One thing I will say uh, a little spoiler for the article coming up because thank goodness they've added this. You know how with an IMAP account, John, in every previous iteration of iOS 5, you could list, all, if you knew the trick, you could uh, put in a comma-separated list of all your email addresses uh, in the email address field, and then you could uh, you could pick yeah. from them, right? Right, just like you can do in Mac Mail. Um, but in iOS 6, the order that you put them in that list no longer mattered. It wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't prioritize based on the order. It came up with some, it sorted it with some hash that was... Uh, unbeknownst to to mortals or something, I don't know, but uh, but in iOS seven, it actually gets better than it is on the Mac. You get a full list. You can edit it. You can reorder it. You can pick which is the priority. So it's all good. Um, so there's there's one little oh one little teaser. Yeah, that was always kind of broken on iOS. Yeah, it, and now it seems broken on the Mac because the Mac you have to still do the comma separated hack. It doesn't have this explicit UI for it. So, well, I think the other, yeah, the other problem with doing it on iOS is when you came to the screen where you could type that in, um, there was no comma on the keyboard. There was, it's correct. You, I always had to go to the, I either had to copy it from my Mac and send it to myself in an email and copy paste, or, um, uh, you, I would go into the notes app or something and type it yep. there. And, yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing I do is yeah. Type it in, put it in a comma, then copy it and paste it into the mail thing. So yeah, that's good. No, there, this uh, is so much better. You're going to be blown away. Yeah. 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 Excellent. So yeah, it's good. Uh, but you'll need a new phone. I think John, right? Oh no. The iPhone four will run. Oh, run iOS seven. That's right. Yeah. We've got it on the iPhone. Yeah. Right here, but I'm yeah. still, yes, I'm still uh, almost certainly getting the, uh, the five S good. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, I don't know I'm that still I'm weighing. I'm still weighing my options of what to do with the four. Because actually, dude, sell it to, to Ver- Gazelle. I put it. I put it. Well, hold on, hold on. Well, the thing is, I, I just went to the Verizon site and I went through pretending I was going to get a five. Yeah. And at one point, they said, "Oh, well, if your phone is in good shape, we'll give you a hundred and ten dollar, hundred and ten dollar." That's the good news. The bad news is it's well, not so bad. Uh, a Verizon gift card, okay, basically would would pay my bill so if they're truly going to give me 110 bucks grant yeah. for my old one then uh though uh gazelle's uh they're they're they have the second best offer that uh that i've seen so uh i have 132 bucks cash on hold with gazelle for the iphone 4 that we will most likely unload really? here for it's a 32 gig uh-huh. black iphone oh, 4 okay 16 so yeah uh, yeah, 16 gig iPhones are tough. I, I, for those of you, so I've, I've been through it all. We have, we have every size iPhone in the house here. Uh, the last two times I have bought a 64. And uh, prior to that, I bought 32s. And this last time around, when my daughter got an iPhone 5, she got a 16. 
I would not do the 16 it holding. If you want to hold any amount of apps or music on there, you're, you're running up against a wall and you're constantly managing, especially with photos and that sort of thing. The 64 though, I don't think I've ever used more than half of my space on there. So uh, I, I think the 32 certainly for, for our use cases amongst all of us here in the Hamilton household, the 32 is the sweet spot, but uh but I don't know. I might still buy. I got by with four. 16, though. I would agree because I think you could also if you wanted to get the. But I think now the the four S that they offer is only eight gigs. Then I definitely could not. Uh, no, gigs. I think the four S is 16, right? Did they, uh, is the I new four S eight? You might be right. Yeah, you might be right. I I. Uh, so I'm good with 16. Maybe I'll get 32. I'm still pondering. I would highly recommend the 32. Because especially with photos and stuff, I mean, you're going to a much bigger camera uh, image size wise. Mm, Right. Good point. So. So, you know, that's where we're All right. Back on track. Hang on. I got to see now. You're right. The iPhone 4S that's online is eight gigs. So. uh, So, yeah. Forget that. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Getting us back on track. All right. Cindy has a. uh, uh, Well, take it away. Hey guys, I have the premium app and I tried to email by clicking the link. I don't know if you ever got anything because I never got a chance to enter anything. It just went away. Like the screen would come up and it would go away. It might be my own problem here, but I thought I would tell you about it. But that's not really why I'm calling. Yeah, if you do have problems with the the pre- with the app, though, uh, please do let us know. And, and we, we always loop Corey in and, and we're usually able to get him solved. So uh, thank you for buying the app and, and thanks for using it. It is a handy thing. Uh, sorry you're having trouble, but we will. We are here to help. It's what we do. And speaking of that. Um, last episode, not this most frequent one that I'm listening to now, but the one before that you mentioned about someone wanted to know how to get on files off their Mac when they're elsewhere. And I've been using this software called Presence that works pretty well. When I go to my clients, I can log in and I can see my whole computer and grab my files. I can't work off my computer at home, but I can grab my files, including all of my external drives, which I have quite a few, and everything. So it's come in handy for me a few times. So maybe check it out. All right. Thanks for the show. Hi. Thanks, Cindy. Very uh, thank you very much. That's uh, that's handy. We will put a link to that uh, everywhere that we know how to do so in the show notes and also inside the uh, the, the 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 enhanced chapterized version of this show, because Michael Johnston is the king and he puts all that together for us. Michael, of course, as we always say at the end of the show, he's the host of We Have Communicators and also runs getappler.com. So thank you, Michael. And thank you, Cindy. Good stuff. Yeah, I took a look at that presence thing. It's um, it, it their, their motto is this is how the cloud should be. It's 40 bucks. Uh, you can download a free trial and mess with it. Uh, but uh, but it, it's it's interesting. It's it's what back to my Mac should be because it still drives me crazy that, you know, we have all these great iOS devices and no way to access our Macs. And I know Apple says, well, you have iCloud with documents in the cloud, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. That doesn't actually work for most people because we don't like compartmentalize our lives that way. Sometimes there's just a file on our Mac we need to get to. So, you know, 
this stuff is good. It's necessary. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, you know, I, I, and I will also take this opportunity to say hello to everyone in the chat room and Michael in the chat room, uh, the chat room, of course, at MacKeekab.com slash stream. And, uh, it's great having this chat going because you guys, uh, help us with filling in the gaps that, that we might miss without having to wait a week. So it's, it's awesome that the, the, the people in the chat room help us all, including those of you that aren't there and that's okay. Uh, but Michael in the chat room, uh, reminds us with sizing of the space on your iPhone it says, uh, don't forget that the iPhone is an, a fantastic HD video camera. And he's right. It's awesome. Uh, but that also chews up room. So, uh, so making sure you have enough headroom at all times to just be able to record some video is a good thing. So there you go. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, I'll, I'll just solder in a, bigger ram chip when i need to oh you know all right so let's talk about soldering here this reminds me of a problem i'm having john i actually want your opinion on this although uh, you know i think i know where i am so uh my daughter my daughter has my old one of my old macbook pros it's the the one that you and i both used to have right john um that you still have right you have a core 2 duo macbook pro or no i have the macbook pro 15 inch early 2008 the one of the last uh non-unibody okay so that's what this one is that's what she has and uh mm. it, yep um it hand me down for me now uh her, her hard drive in it has been flaky and uh you know it just it it starts up and then at random times it just grinds to a halt uh or it and and like you have to turn it off and turn it back on so i like oh, okay i gotta replace the drive but i had um, I had had a Runcore SSD in that thing, but the Runcore SSD had gotten flaky. And so I had it replaced and I'd never put this back in cause she needed the space. But then I realized, well, she doesn't need the space as well. And so I can go from a 256 gig spinning hard drive to a 128 gig SSD and she'll actually be in good shape. So I took it apart and put the SSD in and same problem. And then I remembered, Oh, this is exactly the symptoms I had with the SSD prior that we have since replaced. So this is not a problem with the hard drive and the hard drive I took out now works flawlessly if I boot from USB. So not the drives. So uh, many of you on Twitter suggested to me when I posted about this, that perhaps it's the cable uh, because you'd seen hard drive cables go bad. So I went down to our friendly uh, local authorized Apple service center and they were able to provide me with uh, a hard drive cable for this, which very handy. Thank you. Um, and uh, no, that didn't do it. I replaced that. So I'm assuming it's the motherboard. And one of our Twitter followers that I haven't tried this yet suggested that perhaps disconnecting the DVD drive. She had seen that with a client's machine. Now, I don't think the DVD drive on that machine is in this is on the same bus, though, John. Right. I mean, I think the DVD is on the SATA bus. Uh, sorry, um, the hard drives on the SATA bus. And this machine, yes, this machine was one of the last where the DVD interface was, uh, I think it's just an ATA uh, bus. But yeah, it's not, so the future, as far as I know, machines that came after this one, uh, both the DVD or both the optical drive and the hard drive are SATA. But, mm -hmm. but this one, yeah, is not. So, so I figure what I'm going to do is take apart take it, you know, open it up again, disconnect the DVD drive, put it back together and test it. Cause why not? It's just time at that point. And assuming that doesn't work, then I might also safely assume that the DVD drive 
would, if you could boot from that and run from that, and you might know where I'm going with this, John, that might actually work just fine. If, you know, if, if that, if, if disconnecting it doesn't solve my hard drive problem, then perhaps the two are unrelated enough. And I just got to, got to kind of eschew the, the SATA bus and move over to the slower bus that actually works. And if that's the case, then maybe what I'll do is put in one of those, if I can get one cheap, um, I'll put in one of those, you know, conversion kits that takes your optical drive and turns it into a hard drive bay. And I'll just put the hard drive over there and, uh, and get the machine back up and running. So that's my, that's, that's my plan. But we'll see how it yeah. goes. Yeah, actually looking in here, yes. So looking in Mac Tracker, a splendid utility to tell you what's happening with the machine. Yeah. The hard drive interface in this machine is a unfortunately crippled 1.5 gigabit per se- 1.5 gigabit per second SATA. And the optical drive is a Ultra ATA slash 100 running at UATA 66. Why did they? <sighs> yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if you'd want to put it on that Ultra ATA well see here's the thing and i've said this before and this machine was the one that proved it to me i had a 256 gig hard drive in the sata bus i connected Mm. a usb case to it with uh one of the Mm. first generation ssd drives and the speed blew me away so the usb bus is dog slow compared to every other bus in that machine and yet it still was way faster than running off the hard drive internally so i'm feeling like with this machine if i do that I might be okay. Um, so yeah, one of these OptiBay things, they're pretty cheap. It looks like, I mean, it looks like I can get one for like 30 bucks. So, uh, so yeah. or it may just, it may be a uh, time to sell it for scrap and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not convinced that you're uh, sounding like me now. I you're, know. You're well, see, it, this it's <laughs> no, it's funny because as I was going through this, I thought, wait a minute. This is actually really funny. You know, I, I, I chide you about um, keeping holding on to your old stuff. But the reality is I hold on to probably way more old stuff than you do. I just, be, you know, I just have people that need it. So I pass it down and then I get, you know, I get the, the stuff that I get the new stuff, right, that I use for me. But if I didn't keep this churn of new stuff coming in. I'd have a real problem because my, you know, I'd have to buy new stuff for my family, right? You know, because they need these things. So, uh, so this is this is interesting. Yeah, but maybe I'll just get one of these. These are cheap. I, I, I'm willing to spend thirty bucks on this. I could do that. Yeah. yeah. What I've had happen on this one, which is making me lean towards getting a new one, is this one. I have a problem where every once in a great while, the uh, up arrow gets stuck. Okay. And so I think it's something flaky with the USB bus on this or, or the keyboard because that's all plugged in the USB last day I checked. Or I, I want to reseat the connector because I remember yes. I did have to replace because as you recall, the uh, keyboard on this was uh, replaced due to a uh, uh, tragedy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But there is a, a, a connector that you push onto the motherboard, like a little square connector there, and uh, it may, be, may need to get reseated. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So anyway, Back so I have I have one, no, I have one last question about this because I've go. been in and out of this machine a bunch, and I'm going to go in and again. Um, it, so when you're taking apart those machines, you, you know you 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 flip it onto you close it and you flip it onto the lid and you unscrew all the various screws. And thank goodness to I fix it for their instructions. Otherwise, you know I'd be lost. And thank goodness to my son for helping me most of the the times that I've been in there because it's actually a fun project to do with someone else. Uh, but. Uh, then once you get all the screws out, you flip it over, you open up the, the lid and you start prying the, the, the 
what effectively holds the keyboard, the top of that, that, mm-hmm. uh, that case, you start prying it up from the back and you come toward the front and then toward the front. It's like, there's, there's these clips that are really hard to get off. How do you do it? What's, what's your MO for pulling that open, John? Oh, uh, I typically will pull the cable and then, uh, yank and pretty much take the front and push it all the way back and, I think that's what you're asking. It's yeah, it's a delicate operation. You got it because it feels like you're going to break something. And I think actually, if you're not careful, you may. Yeah. Trying to take the whole uh, top uh, case assembly there. Right, right, right. So, uh, so you reach in and undo the cable for the keyboard first and then yank it off. Is that right? Then the thing has more motion. Yeah. I guess the other way to do it is you could try to take it off and not pull the uh, USB or keyboard connector, but uh, right, right. Yeah, that's difficult. This this machine is is a bear to uh to work on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh in the chat room Mac Vader is saying and you need to keep track of where you got the screws from. So, uh because he said when he did it, he had some screws left over. So, I, I know we've talked about various ways to do it. Uh the way I do it is I print out the instructions from iFixit, right? And then I have a roll of scotch tape there. And as I go through for each instruction, I put the screws on the scotch tape and stick it to the piece of the, the, the section of the, the instructions where those screws came out from. And it has worked flawlessly for me thus far. Oh. Uh, so that that way, I know I'm not guessing. Wait a minute. Uh, these screws for that. Nope. It, they're stuck right there. And uh, and there's not so many screws. I think the, for this, the biggest step is six screws. And uh, and I was able to line those up and, you know, you got to I mean, you don't want to take the sheet of paper, the sheath of paper and like, you know, whip it all around or anything. But if you're careful, the screws stick. around. Oh, so I use uh, I, I do the same. Well, I have the printout, but what I do is I have an ice cube tray nearby. And for each step, I'll put the uh, screws in uh, one of the. Yeah. Yeah, you just got a cube tray in order. And right. then when I put it back together, go in reverse. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That works, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Finally, I can get us back on track. Thanks for thanks for indulging me there, John. I'm 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 coping with the loss of 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 the potential loss of this machine, which inevitably means the potential loss of more money because I need to buy a machine. So I don't know what that means. But anyway, we'll just we'll figure it out. Oh, I'll sell sell you mine for parts. uh, (laughs) If you don't have ice cube trays and I I might actually take you up on that, John, Uh, uh, if you don't have ice cube trays, which we don't, I was actually looking for some the first time we went to do this this week and couldn't find them. Uh, again, from the chat room, Black Boy says he uses an egg carton. Same concept, but you might actually have one of those in your house if you don't have ice cube trays. So there you go. <sighs> All right. Now back to more tips. I think where are we on time here? Now I'm totally lost. Uh, yeah, we can, we can do this. Uh, Lucas writes and he says, always love the podcast. Perhaps the only feature that keeps me hooked on Firefox is bookmark keywords. As far as I can tell, that functionality isn't built into Chrome or Safari. It suddenly dawned on me. And by bookmark keywords, what he means is typing a little shortcut and having an expand uh, whatever bookmark that's create that's associated with. He says, It suddenly dawned on me that I could do something similar on iOS using the keyboard shortcut feature under settings, general, keyboard, shortcut, enter a URL as the phrase and a short string uh, of characters as the shortcut. 
Then type in the shortcut into iOS Safari and bam, it expands into the URL. That's good stuff right there. Thank you, Lucas. That's good. I like that. Right, John? Good? Absolutely. All right, cool. That's how we roll here. All right, uh, one more tip before we get into back into more questions. Lee writes, uh, a couple of shows back, I heard you mention that John didn't have an Apple TV, but Dave, after initial reservations, had fallen in love with his. I'm totally in Dave's camp, but during that discussion, you mentioned that AirPlay was only for, for Apple devices. Not so. Check out Air Parrot. It's an app that enables AirPlay on Windows and earlier Macs, which Apple has not built AirPlay support into, e, uh, i.e. my 2010 MacBook Pro. He says, I use it at work in seminar rooms. It totally works and is seamless to use. Join the Wi-Fi network to which the Apple TV is connected. Click on the AirParrot menu bar icon. Choose the Apple TV listed and bam, the computer is on the screen just like AirPlay. It's a no-brainer to have on hand. And more generally, now Apple TV has Vivo. It's twice as useful. Buy one, John, says Lee. He says, uh, additionally, the subject of Blu-ray DVD ripping seems to have come up. And the best ripper converter around that I've found is from PavTube. And I think we've mentioned that one before, but I'd forgotten about it. PavTube iMedia Converter for Mac. Um, it's weird because the page makes it look like one of those total spam DVD ripper things that we've all sort of mm. come to, but we've had enough of you recommend it that I'm, you know, it's, I, I don't believe it's that I, you know, uh, I think it's, I think it's the real deal. So, uh, so, uh, there you go. That's uh, he says it's regularly updated deals with every video video format I've ever come across and can spit out video for any device you can imagine all with easy to use presets, but with customization under the hood, if you want. It also lets you rip sections of discs easily. Great for teachers or presenters who just want to show clips. So there you go. Uh, so Air Parrot and PavTube. And I think we've probably mentioned both of those, but they're the kind of things that, uh, that they tend to come up. So it's good. It's good, right, John? It's fantastic. It's how we do it. It's how we rock it here. Any, any thoughts on that stuff? Have you uh, have you have you had any more? I know you're you're in the potentially in the market for buying a bunch of new Apple hardware. Are you gonna throw an Apple? Would you like an Apple TV with that? No. Okay. No, no, I'll just take fries with that. Okay. <laughs> uh yes. Somebody had a funny. Oh, whatever. I don't know. It's not important. Uh, I don't need it. My TiVo keeps me happy. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, there is a cool thing that I did last night. We wanted to watch a movie. We actually wanted to watch Stripes, which the kids had never seen, and I'm constantly telling them to lighten up Francis. Um, so I figured <laughs> it was the fact. That's the fact. That's Jack. the fact, Jack. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. But anyway, I had it on our disc station, and we had the Apple TV up because we were showing some clips. Skylar played a gig yesterday, and I had videotaped some of it and uh, all that good stuff. And so I thought, wait a minute, I don't have to switch back to the TiVo to go via stream baby and like pull all the stuff off. If you have movies on your Synology disc station, which I know you have one of those, I don't know if you have any movies on it uh, and you run their uh, video uh, uh, video player, video indexing service, which is built in. So why wouldn't you? Uh, and then you get their free DS video app for your iDevice. Um, you can play movies direct on your iDevice. You can download movies to your iDevice. It works great, but you can also tell it to play movies on your Apple TV. And the magic is 
it doesn't stream it through your iPhone. You have to start it with your iPhone, but it streams from the disk station directly to the Apple TV, presumably using some of this, you know, semi open uh, tech like air parrot does or whatever to sort of circumvent Apple's lock on uh, getting stuff to the Apple TV. And it just streams directly. So once you start it with your iPhone, you could turn your iPhone off or you could leave the house and it's just going straight from the disk station to the Apple TV. So we watch the movie that way and it works great. You can, and once it's started, you can use whatever remote you have with the Apple TV to pause it and all that good stuff. So I like it. It's good. All right, John. Um, so see, there's more reason to get it right. No, maybe not. You're set up for it. It's good. Uh, our second sponsor for this show is Barebones Software at barebones.com. And uh, you know them as the makers of BB Edit, a world-class text editor that works great for programmers, but also works great for, uh, for anyone really at any level. Uh, it's a fantastic way to count things, count uh, characters or words in text, count lines, sort things, edit stuff. Um, edit stuff. If you have it on an FTP server, it just, it just works. They are also the makers bare bones of Yojimbo and Yojimbo 4.0 is out. It works. Uh, it's updated for mountain lion. And most importantly for all of us that are Yojimbo users or would want to be Yojimbo users, syncing is back. Uh, they, they found and worked with a third party core data syncing service because Apple's was not robust enough for Yojimbo type data. Um, hopefully Apple will get there at some point, but Yojimbo works. You, uh, you sign up with the syncing service and your data syncs. And, uh, this show is a living testament to the fact that it works because I organized the show on my iMac in the office, put all the data into Yojimbo. And when I got here this morning, the data was up here just like it's supposed to be. And actually, I've been beta testing this version of Yojimbo for six, eight months now. Uh, and it's actually I've been beta testing it for a year. And with Apple's engine, it uh, I had to do it manually. And with uh, with this third party engine that they found called Wasabi Sync, it works awesome. Uh, so I highly recommend you check that out. Um, that is Yo, Jimbo and BB edit from barebones at barebones.com. Check it out. And when you're, you, they got free trials for both of those out there. And when you are ready to buy, make sure you let them know Mac geek Gab sent you. We appreciate it. They appreciate it. And, uh, and you'll appreciate it. I hope, I hope. All right, John, let's, uh, let's dig into a couple more questions before, for the, our Sundays take us away. Richard, Right. So actually, Richard did more than right. Richard said, Hey, Dave and John. Richard here from Boulder, Colorado. I have a question about tethering a laptop to an LTE enabled iPad and regarding the data usage on the laptop. So we went on a vacation. We fire up, enable our data on um, my wife's iPad whenever we go. On vacation, we do it a couple of times a year. She did it when she went to Europe as well. Works actually worked pretty nicely. And in this case, we went to the Oregon coast. We went to Portland, then to the Oregon coast, and we came to the end of our two gig block of data. We um, we realized we used it up pretty quickly when we went onto Skype and did some video chats. Um, so 
we um, it actually auto renewed for another uh, another month. I guess it does that if you don't watch out, which was fine because we wanted another two gigabytes. But then over a period of about a day, um, we managed to use it all up, and we were pretty careful as far as not using Skype. So the culprit had to be my wife's uh, MacBook Pro, and I'm wondering if there's any way for us to limit the bandwidth that that MacBook Pro would use for that session that it's tied into the LTE connection on the iPad. I think I've looked at this before to see if there's a program that um, says, okay, this program is using this much bandwidth. I I guess it would be nice to say, okay, I only want to use the internet for this particular program. I don't know, iStat menu, maybe it's some fancy little programs, a program that exists. Uh, anyway, if you could uh, comment on that, that would that would be fantastic. Thanks very much. Yeah, you bet, Richard. And uh, as we said before, I hope uh, you're kind of in the thick of it out there. I hope you're doing well with the flooding in Colorado as well. <clears throat> uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, on the iPad or the iPhone, uh, you have the ability to say, hey, if I'm on cellular data, uh, you know, limit your network usage to these functions. Don't download music or, you know, other things. But as soon as either of those devices and, of course, your Mac is connected to a Wi-Fi network, it has no way of knowing what the source of the Internet connection on that Wi-Fi network is. So it has no way of being intelligent about limiting its bandwidth. Now, with all this hardware being made by the same company, uh, Apple, it's po- it would be possible for them to say, you know, in some way, hey, you know, treat this like an LTE connection. Be careful. But uh, but that doesn't exist. So you do. You wind up with this problem. And even background things like if you're set up to automatically download software updates or, uh, or you know, or uh, application updates or, you know, anything like that. Uh, that can that obviously chews up bandwidth and can chew up a lot of it very, very quickly because this LTE stuff is really fast. Um, so you wind up with this problem on your on your iPhone uh, or iPad. There's no real way to to mitigate this if it's connected to a Wi-Fi network. Like if you connect your iPhone to your iPad's Wi-Fi network, it does not know that it's a, a an LTE based uh, data connection on your Mac. You can install something called Rubbernet, uh, and I think actually, from what I hear, I think Mavericks will help with a lot of this. But uh, but in the inter- certainly in the interim, and maybe even long term, uh, Rubbernet is what you want. Uh, Rubbernet is gives you way more insight. It granularly tracks what your Mac is doing on the network, and uh, and really can give you a lot more insight, both real time and long-term monitoring so you can see what apps are using bandwidth in the moment uh which iStat menus will also let you do right now if if you've got the the network menu going you can click on that and see the top five apps sorted by uh, their current real-time usage rubbernet does that too but it also tracks it over time so you can take a look and say oh hey wait a minute you know i see whatever you know software update demon or or maybe it's just mail. Maybe you 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 know mail is syncing with the IMAP server and just being really chatty and bla- blasting data all over the place. This will answer your question. Uh, and it's a it, it, the user interface is 
I mean, it's giving you geeky information, no doubt. Right. But the UI is, is it feels like a Mac app and, uh, and it runs really, really well. So, um, so that, I, I, that would be, that would be my way of finding out what your Mac is up to on the network. John, you have any thoughts on that? Well, there's finding out. So I have nothing to add on finding out, okay. but it sounds like the question here is, is there any way for me to, to control uh, who is using the network? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. How, well, how thing, much? Right. Yeah. 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 Well, one thing I got here, actually, someone suggested this and I, I, I actually am surprised I didn't think of it myself here. But someone in our in our chat room here suggested to use little snitch to block or to at least make you aware of who is uh, trying to go out of your computer and access the network. Yep. Um, little snitch, as, as we've discussed, is, is not for everybody. And, no, uh, let me, you know, and it may annoy you, but it can tell you, but, but, but it, it could at the very least alert you to things that are using the network that you may not be aware of. I is with little snitch. Cause I'm not a user of little snitch. Um, it, w- is there a way to set, um, uh, what I'll call sets. So like if I'm on my home network where I know I've got unlimited bandwidth, I can tell little snitch to allow all these, you know, this one set of apps. But when I'm on my uh, LTE network, can I tell little snitch to allow a different set of apps and switch between them at will? Can I do that? Um, I haven't done that, though. I do see you can define temporary rules. OK, I'm, I'm not sure if it, no, I think you may be able to do rule sets. I, I, I haven't done that, but mm. All right, because that because that would be a handy thing, right? You know, say, oh yeah, when I'm traveling, I don't, and that, I would I would use this on my laptop, right? And and maybe Rubbernet allows this too, right? Uh, perhaps it's worth digging in a little bit more, uh, because it would be really handy to say, yeah, look, when I'm traveling, I don't, I, when I'm home, go ahead and download updates in the background. In fact, I want you to. I don't want you to wait for me to tell you. But when I'm traveling, just block that stuff. Do not. Don't even check for them just block it and uh and being able to switch back and forth between that would be awesome uh, because that you know that that's 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 important stuff uh, even on a hotel network where i'm not paying for bandwidth but we all know that bandwidth is like you know comes at a premium i only want to be using i only want to be using bandwidth with the app that's in front right i don't want if i'm watching a, a youtube video I don't want mail to go and check for mail because I know that I'm on this limited, you know, pipe. And and if somebody sends me a big attachment, mail's just going to say, send it down as fast as you can. You know, I don't want that. So that that's interesting, John. This brings okay. up a good question. And actually, I just brought up something here. So, yeah, I, I just brought up one of the windows in Little Snitch here, and they have something called automatic profile switching. There it is. Profile. Right now, right. Yeah, it okay. says it's disabled, but it says it can be enabled in preferences and allows you to assign networks to profiles. When you join one of these networks, the associated profile is automatically activated. Oh, so that's pretty groovy. That's groovy. Yeah, I think you may want to revisit it here yeah. for uh, different reasons. I, I right. just like to know who's reaching out not so much you know i mean a firewall takes care of people trying to get in but this tells you who's trying to reach out Uh i find it handy actually a lot of times especially after a software update all of a sudden i'll see somebody new come up to you know like a new daemon or something saying oh the you know something d wants to phone home to apple or somewhere and i'm like oh that's an interesting addition to the os yeah, see, this um, is good. And 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 Little Snitch in its own way does tell you who's using bandwidth in real time. I don't 
think it monitors it over time, uh, but it's it may, it may, but it certainly monitors it in real time. So you can see, you know, and 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 um, iStat menus also helps here, too, because you get it right in your menu bar. You can see how much bandwidth you, you're using and then, OK, you know, I want to know more. And again, iStat will tell you that. But but then you can start mm -hmm. limiting it with this. Yeah, this is good. This is, I like then, this. Dave, yeah, now here's go. another one. Now, I've done this once, and I think it's still something you can do here, but wouldn't it be great if you could limit the bandwidth? Yes. Wow. And you can with the firewall, right? If I mean, you can do that with something like Waterroof. You can build a... a exactly. Okay. Is that where you're going with this? Sorry. Okay. Yes. Well, actually, I found it here. So, actually, there's a... I'll link to... Uh, so, you know, what we'll put this in the lovingly handcrafted show notes, which actually I create with BB Edit. Ah, there you go. <laughs> it's a great HTML editor as well. We create them with Google Docs during the show, and then you update them with BB Edit. But go ahead. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, but actually, a Mac OS Hint Hint's article uh, says this. Uh, it gives you ways to uh, from the command line to invoke this. And yes, it involves what's called IPFW, which is the firewall that is buried in OS X. And one thing you can do is limit bandwidth on a specific port to a certain rate. So this could be... yeah. Um, this could be another way to try to manage, you know, what happens. Um, you know, of course, what we suggested is if you can just block it or try not. <laughs> what, so the first part is, yeah, learning what is phoning home. The second part would be to use this here and uh, the, this, you know, IPFW or, yeah, like you said, water roof or something that's a nicer interface to yeah, uh, just, say, yeah. hey, right. when you're on this port, please l limit the, the bandwidth to however many kilobits or megabits per second. And actually water roof or, you know, IPFW would also allow you to just limit your entire bandwidth on on the Wi-Fi interface to be, you know, no more than, say, 512K a second. Now, that might drive you crazy if you're trying to download something, but it at the at the very least, it would prevent your computer from sucking up too much bandwidth too quickly. I, you know, so there's a lot of there's no perfect solution here, but uh, but there are the tools to build your customized solution. Uh, both in the short term and the long term. So that's good. I might have to revisit little snitch about this, John. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep at it. Yeah, no, it's, see, it's I good. I will convert you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I just don't need to be pestered by it, but. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, if I could stop up software updates from happening anywhere but home. Huh. I like it. This is good. I have an well, afternoon this I think project. You could because yeah, there's a specific yeah because you, you can see when when they try to phone home and and uh, do software updates. You'll see yeah. it connecting to some a specific server at Apple. I think it's SWUpdate or whatever it is. Yeah, but it's you, also just an it, engine, right? I mean, there's an app that right. that, that or the a process mm -hmm. I should say that runs and does it. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, that was good. I like that. I love it. So you want to take Alejandro for a spin here, John, his question? Alejandro, yes. All right. All right. So, hi, guys. Thank you for all you do. You're welcome. <laughs> I, re I recently purchased a MacBook Pro 15-inch with Retina display, and I'm loving it. And I sold my old iMac 2009. Before I raced the hard drive and delivered it to its new owner, I made a super-duper clone backup. Uh, in addion to a time machine and a crash plan backup, excellent multiple backups is good. Um, I have all my stuff externally, like iTunes and iPhoto libraries, so when I get the new computer, all my stuff was there as soon as I plugged the ex plugged in the external drive. 
My question to you is how to transfer emails. I had on my Mac, or how to transfer emails I had on my Mac uh, to the new computer. I had several folders where I used to put emails containing my software licenses, receipts, etc. I created the folders locally on purpose so I could use them as an archive and to avoid crowding up the server. But now I don't have access to those folders inside my new mail app. What would you recommend would be the best way to move those folders to the new computer? And there are a number of ways to do it. So I'm going to offer several options here. Okay. So one thing to try would be to run mail app on the new system, then go to file, import mailboxes. You will then get a list of options and one will be Apple mail. So then select that and then navigate to where you have the mailboxes stored on the backup. And that should be somewhere in your user directory, library, mail, or thereabouts. Um, or that's where I pointed. It will then scan for mailboxes, and once it's done scanning, it will list the ones that you can import. So to me, that's probably the best way to do it. And the Apple-approved way. So another option... Uh, which also you know, gets pretty specific, or you can, do, you can export specific mailboxes, would be to boot from the clone. Hopefully you can still do that. I don't see why you wouldn't be able to. Then run mail on the old machine, select each mailbox that you want to export, and then control click on it and select export mailbox. What that does is creates a .mbox file. And then what you do is go to the new system. You run the same import mailboxes dialog. But in this case, instead of selecting Apple Mail, you select files in mbox format. And that's the other way to do it. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Those are yeah. two ways that are specific. Now, there's a, actually the last time I did this, was a, there's a couple of other ways you could do this. So one is, uh, and actually I did this when I, yeah, when I had to rebuild my uh, MacBook Pro, is you could just take the mail folder and just copy the whole darn thing over and I think you probably also want to copy over the com.apple.mail.plist file, which, uh, uh, crazily enough, is now located in library slash containers slash com.apple.mail slash data slash library slash preferences. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's another, option number three, and I've done that, and it works. I'll I, throw I don't in know option number four. Yeah, option number three Go. works, but... Um, if he specifically only wants the stuff that's in the, you know, quote unquote, on my Mac group, uh, yeah, you can then. you can get it a little more granular and, and you can go to the mail folder, which is inside uh, library, like you said, John, um, and uh, mail. So home folder library mail and to get to home folder library, uh, as many of you know, you have to go to the go menu with the option key down and choose library. Once you get there, uh, then go to the mail folder. Inside that will be a V2 folder. And inside that, you will see a, a series of folders. There will be one each for each online mailbox that you have. So your IMAP mailboxes, your POP mailboxes, your me, your Mac.com mailboxes, however you set them up originally, uh, iCloud will be there. And, and there'll be a couple other folders, one of which is called simply mailboxes. That folder is the local stuff on your Mac. And you and those are they're listed as dot mbox files. They're actually more than that. But um, but it's OK. It, it would it would work to simply copy those mail quit mail on on uh, on the machine that you're copying to at the very least. Uh, and then just copy those into the corresponding mailboxes folder on the on the live machine. And, you, and then you're good to go. 
that that will bring them in. Um, you might need to use something like in in that uh, mail folder is something called envelope index. I would mail might be smart enough to re-index this stuff, but uh, but if you de- just delete that envelope index before you launch mail, it will it will then force it to re-index everything and uh, and get you back up in business. So that that would be a very granular way of just manually pulling the on my Mac stuff into your new Mac. Okay, yeah. you kind of beat me to the punch here. Because Sorry. To, uh, to, okay. to wrap it up. No, no, you, you brought up a good point. So one, yeah, so of course, if you copy over just the entire mail folder, it's going to copy over everything. Right. And then the, the last option I offered, though, I, uh, I don't even know if I should. Well, I'll mention it. I think Migration Assistant may also do this. But in, in, the, in the case of either copying over the entire mail folder or using Migration Assistant, as Dave suggested, it's going to copy over everything. And then you got to delete or prune what you don't want. So right. I think you should probably just ignore the last two okay. <laughs> solutions and use and use the import mailboxes. Um, yeah. Import mailboxes is Apple easy. Mail. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It, it, right. Because then it manages the, the indexing and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Okay. Uh, how are we doing on time? We have. Uh, yeah, we can do this one last one. And perhaps this this will loop itself into being a geek challenge of sorts. Uh, Jocko writes, uh, I am baffled by iTunes behavior. I'm running the latest version of iTunes on the latest version of OS 10 Mountain Lion. I recently spent many hours updating the tags of my music tracks, specifically the comments field, in order to tag the tracks with multiple genres. Now I've realized that as soon as I play the track, the metadata is read from the file and my changes in iTunes are overwritten. So it seems that iTunes own database has my comments and tags, but isn't writing them to the file. And whenever the file is read, the files metadata, the songs metadata overwrites iTunes, iTunes own metadata. iTunes match is switched off. So it's not coming from there. Uh, and although my iTunes lo- library or my iTunes music folder is located on my NAS drive at Drobo FS, I have verified that it is not a permissions problem by right clicking on a track, selecting show in finder and then changing the name of the file. This action is successful and therefore verifies that at least I and presumably iTunes has the permissions to change it. Also preferences advanced keep iTunes media folder organized is ticked and always has been. So I've run out of ideas. Why is iTunes not committing my changes to the files? The only remaining option is to edit the tags with a third party editor in the files themselves. But since I've spent a weekend on the tagging, I'm trying to avoid redoing it. Any idea how I can force iTunes to commit my changes and tags to the file? Uh, All the files are uh, AAC files, which are uh, iTunes uh, format. Okay. Uh, The first thing I would try, we want to narrow down where this problem lives, right? So, um, the first thing I would try is let's go into iTunes preferences and uncheck that keep organized checkbox that you mentioned. Right. And then let's bring in a new file, MP3 or AC. It shouldn't matter. Uh, although that would be a good thing to test too, see if this sticks with MP3s versus AACs. And uh, you know, I don't think you're going to find anything there, but with troubleshooting, I have learned to never rule anything out until you have ruled it out. Um, until you have proof as to why you should rule it out. Uh, so once you uncheck that, go in um, and add a new song and, and just add it from your main hard drive. Don't put it on your Drobo, just add it, you know, from your desktop or whatever. 
And because you're not doing the keep organized thing, iTunes will just leave it there and then go and change that song's metadata and see what happens and look at the file update times of that file and see if iTunes updates it. It should. Uh, there should be an immediate change to that file. And if there's not, then you know that something's wonky with uh, potentially with your, with, if, if that's the case, we know that we can write to the file. We know it's not on a NAS drive. So there might, you know, I know you tested the permissions, but there might be a thing going on there. So go and edit that file and, and make sure that works. Then once you've done that, then go in and recheck your keep organized box. And then in order to incorporate this file into your iTunes library, do the uh, go into iTunes, go to the file menu, go to library, go to organize library and do the consolidate files that will copy this to your Drobo uh, and iTunes will update its location. Uh, you can then delete it from your desktop uh, and, and you want to look at this file on your Drobo and repeat those steps of updating the metadata inside iTunes and checking the update times on the file and make sure that it's updating things. Uh, because again, you know, we want to try this in various different ways and figure out what combination of it does. And most importantly, doesn't work. So, you know, where your problem lies, um, if it's happening right up front, if it won't update it when it's just on your hard drive, that tells me that your iTunes library file itself might be damaged. Um, and if you want to test that, you can do so without losing what you already have. Quit iTunes, relaunch it with the option key held down. You'll get a window that uh, that allows you to create a new library or choose a new library. But you can also create a new library, create a new library. And then with that one library, try all these steps again and see where the problem lies. You know, try it with the the files coming in uh, on your hard drive without moving them into your library, try it with moving them into your library, but that library being on your hard drive in the music folder and then relocate the library to a different folder on your Drobo and see how that goes. Uh, hopefully, you know, I, I know we're just talking about troubleshooting kind of in the abstract here, um, but, but that's, that's how to get to the, the bottom of this kind of problem. Uh, you definitely have a problem. It definitely shouldn't be working the way you're experiencing. So the, the, the question is, okay, where is this specific disconnect? Um, and my, I, my gut says that it's probably your iTunes library file is damaged because it should be updating those files on your hard drive immediately. So unless your Drobo is blocking that from happening, it would almost have to be the iTunes library itself. And that, unfortunately, that's not a, that's not a fun fix. Uh, we'll put some links in the show notes as to how to recover that. And that might help or might not. So any thoughts on this, John? Fish shake. No, <laughs> no I agree with you. Yeah. The, the file has to be a, something's damaged. And I think it's probably something a bit more, well, a bit more complicated than repair permissions. Maybe it's just, eh. well, no, cause there wouldn't be permissions on his, mm. on his Drobo. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause it, external drives don't, you know, repair permissions. Actually that that's, that's an important thing. Repair permissions touches nothing in your user folder. It does not muck mm -hmm. with the permissions of your data. It only mucks with the permissions of system files that are required for the system to work, but it does not mess with your user. Right. Folder. Right. Right. Yeah. So we have that, that tip. Yeah. If, if you do, uh, yeah, you actually have to, uh, 
It's a secret place somewhere. Yeah, it's kind of kind of hidden away, but there's a way to uh, repair user there, permissions. There is, and it's called Yasu, yet another system utility. You can do the, oh. the, the magical way, but uh, but Yasu, which is available for free at yasuapp.com, will let you repair your user permissions. Uh, and that can that would be more helpful here than uh, repairing system permissions. Again, only for the system, it leaves your user folder alone. So, but yet another system utility from, uh, I can't remember the guy's name because it used to be in his URL and now it's changed. Jim Mitchell, if my memory serves me right. Uh, so there you go. Well, he says he's not developing it for Mavericks, but, uh, but that's okay. It still works now. So there you go. For a short period of time, Yasu is the right way to do it. Hopefully somebody else will come out with something because otherwise you got to do this whole terminal invocation. All right. Good. Right. Yes, John, I guess. Yeah, no, I just found the, uh, yes, I just found the uh, article, how to repair user level permissions uh, in Mac OS 10 written by Jim. Jim. Oh, Jim at, uh, uh, here at, at, at Mac observer. Oh, that's great. Let's put that in the show notes too. That'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I suppose that brings us to the end of yet another another fun-filled, action-packed Mac Kiko. <laughs> action-packed? It was action-packed. Yeah, I thought so. It was good stuff. All right. Uh, feedback at MacKeekab.com is the address that you can send your comments, tips, questions, screenshots, screen captures, anything you like. Send it to us. We'd love to get it. And if you get a reply from us, You'll get our key, our S-MIME key, and then you can encrypt stuff back to us if you have uh, if you have done the, the email security thing that we've been talking about in the last couple episodes. And tons of you have. It's awesome to see all these keys coming in. So if we reply to you by default, if you send your key, we will uh, encrypt our reply just because it's fun. If you'd prefer it not to be encrypted, uh, let us know so that we don't screw you up. Yeah. Well, I haven't had an. Well, I told you I had an issue with my ISP, but then I found the right person who uh, was able to fix that. That's good. Some systems may reject uh, S. I think it's a S7M attachment, or at least mine did until I yelled at them. <laughs> oh, but yes, Dave, you said feedback at MacGeekUp.com. That's right, feedback at MacGeekUp.com, and of course. That's not the only email address. Some of you qualify to use the premium at MacGeekab.com email address. And that's those of you that are uh, actively supporting us as premium subscribers. And those of you that have hit or that hit uh, by February. And yes, we know it took a long time. uh, Hit your $100 threshold. You have started receiving. Some of you have received. Many of you have received. In fact, I think by this point, nearly everyone in the U.S. has received your MacGeekab water bottles uh, that we put together for you. With the uh, Mac Geek Gab logo and, of course, our catchphrase on the back. So uh, those of you overseas, we are sending them to you uh, because we said we would. And, and so they're on their way. It just takes a little bit of time. Uh, because, But they've all been sent out, and, as far as I'm aware. And you can also put uh, different beverages in there, not necessarily water. I would be careful with carbonated beverages because yes, it is a they, sealed they, container. <laughs> they, they do warn you about that. <laughs> There's an insert, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't want it. Uh, you don't want to test the uh, pressure limit of uh, of the bottle. Uh, well, or, you may, you or do, maybe you we, do. We, we hold no responsibility. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, maybe you would love to test that. I, you know, listen, that's that's your thing, though. Uh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, if you do Coke and Mentos, you're you're Ooh. you're on your own. Oh boy, actually, that sounds like fun. Oh, uh, never mind. All right, so uh, Sunday afternoon experiment. Two zero six 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 Geek is the number to call, and Geek is John four three three five. You can also, well, let's see, Facebook, facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. That is where you will, uh, you can see an event telling you when the next show will be. Yep. You can also post on the wall, and uh, we've had some interactions there, posting questions. Um, find us on Twitter. The, yes, Dave, and where can they find us on the Twitters? Well, MacGeekGab is MacGeekGab. Uh, you are John F. Braun. Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. When he's there, when he's here, Back Observer is uh, where you get all TMO's headlines. And, of course, uh, on Twitter, I'm Dave Hamilton. Uh, and that's that. I think that's it. MacGeekup.com slash stream is where you will find us. I think the next four weekends, we're on Sunday morning Eastern time is what our schedule looks oh. like. I love these Sunday. We're, we're good in these Sunday morning shows. It's, I think it's our best time slot in terms of uh, the quality of product that we produce. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Once we once we get our stimulant of choice uh, introduced into our system, mm-hmm. yes, that's right, that's right. Uh, all right. Uh, with that, I thanks Michael Johnston. So thank you, Michael, uh, for doing the conversion. You rock, my friend. Uh, Cashfly, of course, rocks as well. C a c h e f l y dot com provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes BB Edit and Yojimbo from Barebone Software, Text Expander, PDF Pen, Disc Label from Smile, Gazelle.com, Squarespace.com with the MGG9 coupon code for 20% off. It is good stuff out there. Don't forget about Crash Plan. C-R-A-S-H-P-L-A-N.com for your online backups, too. And if you are going to take your, if you are a premium uh, supporter and you reached your threshold and you've gotten your water bottle uh, before you pour Coke and Mentos into it, you want to turn, you want to look, gaze upon the beautiful uh, Mac Geekab logo on the front and then spin the bottle. No, don't, don't, don't lay it down and spin it. We're not playing that game. Spin the bottle on its base, 180 degrees and read the back. Because if you're going to put Coke and Mentos in, you want to make sure, you want to make darn sure you don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.